the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ. Today's gospel, uh, we, we have these people who are vying for position. But Jesus puts this question to them, Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? If you want to sit at my left and my right hand, he says to James and John. Are you able to do that? And he's foreshadowing what we're going to enter into next Sunday, really next Saturday, with Holy Week, in which the Lord is asking us, if we're to stand at his right side and at his left side, we have to drink the cup that is suffering with him on the cross. And that we have to trod that line of walking with him to Calvary and to sit at the right hand and at his left hand of his throne means standing at the cross with him, just like the mother of God did and John did. There they were, at the right and the left, because that is what his throne is. That's his exaltation. That's his moment of glory. More precious than a golden throne is the cross of Christ. That's why we kiss it so much and sign ourselves with it as often as we do. But the cup that we are to drink uh, and participate in uh, requires that commitment then to the Christian life. And so I want to talk about two instances of using the cup that are very familiar to us uh, as we commemorate today. We have the example of Mary of Egypt. Mary, who was a prostitute, she had sex with men all the way to Jerusalem. She even convinced all these nice, unassuming pilgrims to do the deed with her on the boat. And she was prohibited from entering in the temple, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, so she could venerate the cross, do the kissing of the cross that we do so easily. She couldn't do that. She was prohibited but physically. There was like a physical block. And it was in that moment that she recognized her sinfulness and she spent her days across the Jordan River in the desert in, of Egypt, where she gets her name. And she came to uh, know this Father Zosimus, this monk, who was able to perform, hear her confession, hear her life story, and give her communion in her last breaths. And when she received communion, she says, Now you may dismiss your servant, O Lord, my peace, is, your word has been fulfilled, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the light before the face of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel, the song of Simeon that we sing every evening at Vespers. That moment of receiving communion for her was this moment of now I can finally go in peace. I've done it all. I've done it all. And yet we sing in this troparian about her, in you, O mother, the divine image was strictly preserved. Taking up your cross, you followed Christ. You showed us how example, how to spurn that which is earthly, that which is fleshly, for it passes away, and how to care for the soul, which is eternal. I think it's really interesting that she didn't have the Eucharist daily, but she lived the Eucharistic life. And the Troparian says the divine image was strictly preserved, and yet she couldn't receive communion. At all. Regularly. She spent her days in the desert. Let's fast forward to the 20th century. 
And one of the finest martyrs of the 20th century was a Greek Byzantine ca oh, Greek Catholic priest, Father Emilian Kovac. He served in Ukraine and was taken by the Nazis and had to serve in the concentration camp. And there, uh, he was a married priest. And his family, his kids, his very many kids, seven I believe, they fought very hard with the government to try and get him released. And they did succeed in that. But he wrote them and he said no. And this is what he said. I understand that you are trying to free me, but I am asking you not to do anything. Yesterday they killed 50 persons here. If I were not here, who would help them endure these sufferings? Who would forgive their sins? I thank God for his kindness to me. Except heaven, this is the only place I would like to be. Here we are all equal. Poles, Jews, Ukrainians, Russians, Latvians, and Estonians. I am the only priest here. I couldn't even imagine what would happen here without me. Here I see God, who is the same for everybody, regardless of religious distinctions which exist among us. Maybe our churches are different, but they all are ruled by the same all-powerful God. When I am celebrating the Holy Liturgy, everyone prays. Don't worry and don't despair about my fate. Instead of this, rejoice with me. Pray for those who created this concentration camp and this system. They are the ones who need prayers. May God have mercy on them. This is beautiful testament. You know, to not hinder me when he could have had the easy street. He wanted to be nowhere else because in that concentration camp, strangely, it was heaven on earth to him. Except heaven. This is the only place I want to be because here we're all equal. Who's going to celebrate Mass for these people? Who's going to give them their sacraments? That was his first and prior primary concern. These are two examples of extremes. We have this example of the desert, and we have this example of the concentration camp. And in Mary's desert, there was no Eucharist. And in Blessed Emilian's concentration camp, there was no heavenly church like we have here that is heaven on earth. And yet, in Mary of Egypt, life there was a Eucharistic one, a life of repentance and sincere devotion to our Lord. And in Emilian's case, heaven was present. Heaven on earth was there in these humble, ordinary things. He found the extraordinary. Now we here in Whiting, Indiana, have it all. We have heaven on earth. We have the Eucharist weekly, during the week even, a pre-sanctified. We have that, but do we have the Eucharistic life that requires trotting the line, following, taking up your cross and following Christ daily? And doing that not just with rational assent, but with like bodily engagement through the sacrament of confession, for example, through saying no to other things so that you can pray here in church or here at home saying no to other things, because it's not being fitting of the Christian life. It may not be serious as prostitution, but we can do a lot of other things that are a whole lot more surreptitious and a whole lot more sinister. That is, they're secretive, but they build up and they turn into monsters and they consume us. Mary of Egypt gives us this bold, broad picture, and Jesus today invites us to taste of that cup to raise up 
that cup of salvation, which means uh, accepting the cross and accepting that life that we get here in the Byzantine Catholic tradition and everything in its fullness that it is. So that it's not just an afterthought. So that the cup that we drink is everything for us. That's what St. Irenaeus calls it. He calls it the cup of synthesis. The cup in which everything goes in. Commemorating all that has come to pass in our behalf. The cross, the tomb, the resurrection on the third day. The ascension into heaven. The sitting at the right hand and the second coming in glory. So that it's not an after dinner drink. Or a preprandial. But it's the very meal the very substance of everything that we are. That's the cup that we're asked to take up today. And that's the cup we're going to be taking up all through Holy Week so that we can enjoy Pascha, which is very different than Lazarus's life on Lazarus Saturday. And that's why Lazarus Saturday is such a beautiful feast for us and why we should all come to it. Because for Lazarus, he didn't have resurrected life with Christ. He didn't have that. He just have resuscitated life. Jesus did an AED on. But we can have resurrected life with him, which means unity with him, which means everlasting life with him. Lazarus was raised up and he died again. When we're raised up with Christ on Pascha, we won't die anymore. And that is the cup. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Alleluia, for his glory.